0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from theethicalpanda.com.
1: From the next real film podcast.
0: And today we're talking about minute 26, which begins with the ice breaking up and ends with Thor feeling a little overwhelmed. Joining us on the show today is one of my favorite guests, uh, Will Friedland, of uh, the Hype is My Superpower moment. I've gotten to have Will on a number of uh, episodes of my own podcast, and I'm really excited to have him joining us here today. Will, how are you doing today? Doing good. Thank you for having me.
2: i uh, very excited to talk all things Marvel, so i um, excited to kind of hop into this.
0: Awesome. And Will, you're a great person to have on because um, your podcast you do with your buddy Steve is all about specifically the Marvel comics. And so we always love getting to have people talk to us about the movie and bring that perspective in. And let me just start by asking, what's your favorite Thor moment from comics that you've ever read?
2: Oh, man. It's um, <laughs> a big question. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
0: I like these nice, light questions to start off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> to preface, I listened to your guys' primer for the movie, um, uh-huh. and it sounded like uh, you read a lot of Jason Aaron's run on uh, Thor and how uh, Jason Aaron loves to put gods through the ringer. And um, <laughs> <laughs> <we> ever, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite moment, but one of my favorite runs is the end of the Mighty Thor run, where we have a uh, female Thor and it's called the death of thor it's kind of the story of how jane or the female thor (laughs) uh ends up giving up the power of thor um and like relinquishing the the weight and the responsibility of being thor and um how all that goes down and how they uh sacrifice themselves. And it's a coming of, it's kind of like a coming of age moment for Odin because the whole, a woman becoming Thor thing happened under Odin's nose and not, and without his consent for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. And it took all of this time took 25 issues <laughs> to actually get Odin to accept this new thor and it all had to do with um basically saving all of asgard and the rest of the norse
0: gods interesting well cool i would I definitely want to talk to you more about that especially once the love and thunder movie comes out because i yeah. think those stories might be a little relevant there uh but for now we're really excited to have you jump into this minute and we'll do that right after this message
1: great conversation with a lot of different guests this week and we want to get you into that conversation come over to our growing group of marvel fans in our discord community the community at truestory.fm slash Movie minute Discord link that's at the top of the page
0: ask you a question about a smaller thing so just for this one minute what did what did you most notice what kind of jumped out at you
2: this is around the time in the movie where i started to get over it (laughs) i this is not my favorite uh mcu movie um and uh every, like, the gods, the the six gods that are in this scene, you have the Warriors 3, so are Fandrel Hogan, and Volstagg, and you have Sif and Loki and Thor. And those are kind of, like, basically your main characters of all the Thor titles <laughs> uh, in both the comics and kind of the movies. And, um, and they just, the only thing that seemed uh they just had this entire storm storming the entire like frost giant stronghold castle and they they don't even look bloodied or worn or torn the only thing about them is that their hair is frazzled Mm -hmm. and they and they're like (laughs) they they look tired (laughs) and i was like you know at this point, they're gods. Like, they're, they're introduced to us as gods, um, Norse gods. And I'm like, for gods, like, you guys don't really get in the muck. Like, you guys are super shiny. And like, in, in this minute, <laughs> uh, Thor go plows through a giant troll and there's no blood on him. <laughs> like, I get that it's a PG-13 movie, but like, you could at least have <laughs> yeah. some sort of, like, wear and tear on your on your costumes. <laughs>
0: we, we will definitely be talking about that particular method and uh, how squeaky clean he comes out through it. And, and so let's start with uh, just the very beginning scene of this, of this uh, minute is that that troll, the monster, the Yodin beast, beast, beast it's called, yeah. um, is chasing them and it's going under the ice. And this is both a great shot until you think about it for a couple seconds. Because I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to understand that I'm not a geologist, but I don't see anything holding up that upper layer of ice. Like, is it just kind of like a cave with caverns? Like, what's going on in that moment?
1: Well, it is one of those areas where, I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I mean, I understand (laughs) how, I understand how cave systems work. And obviously you have actual pockets in the ground that are hollow and obviously they just don't collapse because the ground, the way that they're formed is strong enough to actually hold it up. And so I get that, but it does seem like this is an awfully thin layer of crust here. (laughs) Usually when it's a cave, like it's there, it's a pretty thick, uh, you know, amount of earth between the surface and the the ceiling of the cave so it is it is kind of a strange thing and i just have to like write it off as jotunheim ice you know formations and that's kind of like how it works it doesn't completely make sense but i also don't understand how the jotun beast clings to the ceiling like it and seems runs. so big and runs. It's not like crawling, like carefully. It's like running. Like if you flipped the shot, it would look like a beast running across the surface of the ground. So mm-hmm. it's a little funky. Like all of yeah. this stuff here is just like I, I don't know. I have to not think about it too hard. Physics is different in
2: Jotunheim. Clearly, like there's no.
1: We're never going to be able to test it, <laughs> right?
0: Biology is too clearly. That's why people don't bleed or you know exactly. have gore on them. Yeah. And, and i will say that they do an interesting thing camera wise which is all these shots are fairly off-kilter like they're never at like exactly level and they're all kind of very like fast and cutting and it 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 got me at least caught up enough in the action that it wasn't until i stopped and thought about it that i was like wait a minute how does this make any sense and it it reminds me of how my understanding is as people are trying to do more and more things with cgi like anytime people are doing things where they don't quite have the cgi technology to make it the best it could be they put it everything in the dark so you know you mm-hmm. can't quite tell And i like, kind of get that yeah. sense here of the the odd camera angles and the jerking back and forth helps like set the scene but also kind of helps cover up the fact that maybe we're not in the most you know realistic depiction of a scene at the moment <laughs>
1: That certainly holds true. And I mean, well, luckily for Rana, I mean, we've seen throughout the film so far, like he really loves those Dutch angles when he's in action sequences. He loves that handheld shaky camera feel. So everything that we're seeing at least fits into the aesthetic that he's already established. So it's not like all of a sudden we're getting thrown this, these different camera techniques that just don't fit into the story that he's been telling so far. So at least to that end, it all works.
0: So and then, Will, I'm really curious your thoughts on this, because then we get to that our heroes run to the cliff and they're really. Well,
1: wi- hold on. Before we get to the cliff, I just have to point out in these shots, there's this fantastic shot where we actually jump from under the cave to overhead. And again, Brana really loves those God's eye view shots where he's directly over something and we're directly over Sif as she's running and the ground is all falling around her. And mm-hmm. if you walk through that shot, you'll see the ground fall away to her left, and you can actually see the Yotan beast running past her. And it's it's it happens very quick. It's about six seconds into this minute, but you'll see the yoten beast actually dart by her. So kind of leading to this moment that you're mm-hmm. about to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a great shot. I caught it this time, and and so then they get to the cliffs. And clearly they expect that, like, this is the place that Heimdall is going to pick them up. And one of them shouts for Heimdall, and we'll talk about that in a second. This Andy and I have talked about this a bit, though, like... Does the Bifrost have, like, specific train stations on different worlds that it can only stop there? Um, (laughs) Clearly on Earth, it can go to both Norway and New Mexico. But, like, why is it that they think they have to go to this exact spot? Do you you know anything about that from the comics? Or how do you view the scene in the movie?
2: Oh, no. uh, Bifrost is, you shoot it, you point and click. I, I think the idea there is they don't want to bring anyone else through the gate to get to Asgard. And so they want to get Mm. as far away as possible. And they probably would have kept running except they got to a cliff. And so now they're just waiting at the cliff kind of a thing. Uh, But there's never, there's never like this is the gateway right over here to Asgard kind of thing.
1: But it does make me think that this is, I mean, just because they did land on a cliff edge when they got here. I mean, I I've assumed and and perhaps I'm incorrect, but, because we never see runes here and I know in the past when the bifrost uh, you know delivers somebody you know when they've arrived it marks the ground with the runes and I don't know if, if this is the same spot and the runes are just covered up by snow or if uh, if they're on a different cliff edge but I I always kind of assumed that this was the same. Uh, the same location, but maybe I shouldn't be assuming that. Yeah, it kind of it kind of comes off as that. But yeah, the leaving the runes thing I think is just the dramatic effect
2: um, that they wanted to throw in for um, making kind of mysterious
1: air to to the Asgardians because that doesn't happen in the comics. Well, and it, but it only seems to happen in Midgard, maybe. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, something special about the Earth there, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because we did hear Heimdall earlier say, "You know, I won't open the gate if you're going to let something dangerous back in with you." So yeah. them trying to get that separation and failing, and and at some point, uh, someone who's not on screen yet, I think, shouts out for Heimdall, and the script doesn't say, and my I couldn't quite figure out whose voice it was. I thought it was Volstagg, but do either of you know who that was? I
1: think it was Thor. No, well, Thor's too far. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's Volstagg also uh. because we see when when it's happening, we do see Loki and Sif in the shot. It's obviously not Sif. Uh, we see Loki, and he's not shouting it out. And then as the camera turns, all of a sudden, Hogan's there. I don't think it's Hogan. I think that no. you're right. I my assumption is that it was it was Volstagg who's yeah. coming up behind with Fandral on his shoulders. They gave Hogan too strong of an accent for it to be him. Yeah. yeah, I have
2: right. I have problems with that, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: think that makes the most sense. It's Volstagg. Certainly, I, I would have trouble thinking it's Thor because it seems so out of character for him. But but either way, we get to the edge of the cliffs and there's no answer from Heimdall, but there is an answer from the beast. And we're going to talk about that. But first, this scene is very different from what was originally written in the script. The Odin Beast isn't in the script at all. Uh, no. and, and he tells more about what was supposed to happen in the script. And let's talk about kind of how that would have been different.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about it before, where uh, when when Laufey, you know, casts his his ice magic to wake the Jotun Beast, in the script, he is actually waking a whole bunch of other, like, hibernating frost giants that are under the ground, and they all, almost zombie-like, start popping up to kind of add more frost giants to the battle. And then all those frost giants pursue uh, all the Asgardians toward the cliff. The ground isn't crumbling. You don't have all that. But what happens, and it's so strange, is the frost giants all pause and they all breathe out frost breath. So as so this is this is how it's written in the script. As the jotuns race toward the Asgardians, they open their mouths wide and breathe out an icy fog. The swirling mists quickly engulf the fleeing Asgardians before them. The Asgardians stand in the mist, unable to see. Hogan takes a step back; the ice cracking beneath him. They dare not move for fear of falling through into the void below. And then, of course, Thor sees what's happening raises Mjolnir high, summoning the winds. They lift him off the ground and carry him across the frozen wasteland to his comrades. He lands behind them in the Shroud of Mists, and then Loki, actually, uh, Thor says to Loki, Loki, we have to see. Loki raises his arms, concentrates, the mists dissipating. And that's when you see all of these frost giants standing in front of them. So, it's a sh- I mean, it's kind that of interesting... It it would have been cool, but it's such a strange, like, I I, I can only imagine seeing all these frost giants stop and just all of them in unison, like, breathing out a big breath and, like, filling this whole area with with fog. It's such Mm -hmm. a strange picture.
0: Is that something that they ever do in the comics? In terms of, like, this frog bath? or Okay.
1: Well, so, frost giants in the comics... Fog
0: breath, not frog breath.
2: (laughs) Frost (laughs) giants in, in the comics are just big blue guys. They range from 16 feet tall to like 60 feet tall. They, they, you know, they're dressed like cavemen. They, you know, they have like loincloths and like cool bone earrings and, and random accoutrements. And they like their preferred weapons are like clubs and, and swords. Like they're, they're your like go to big monster guys that happen to be Mm -hmm. blue. And so they're, and so they're from Jotunheim. This whole the like the magic stuff uh, isn't really a frost giant thing, but they have ten realms of usable characters in the comics, and so they can just they can throw the magic somewhere else instead.
0: Right? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that scene would have been awesome to watch, but also very much changed how I saw the frost giants because now to me that's just a very like. I, I've seen them a lot like what you're talking about, Will. Like, they're just big and strong, and they hit you really hard, and they have weapons. Now they're getting into, like, magic breath and stuff like that. I feel like that just makes them a very different kind of antagonist uh, or character. Well,
1: Um, I don't know if it's magic breath other than—I mean, because it seems honestly like frost giants are kind of big, cold beasts. And I guess from my perspective, like, forming ice on their hands might almost seem a little more magical than just if if they're just cold beings and they just breathe out. But I guess both of them are kind of strange oh, yeah. little icy sorts of things.
0: And I guess I meant they're not that like one is magic and one is not, but more like, you know, they're going from being like the barbarian in the D&D party to the sorcerer. You know, yeah. like it's, it's a stand and calmly breathe kind of thing instead of just like charge in and womp on people.
1: Well, and, and to your point about magic, like the whole idea of, of Loki being the one who is asked by Thor to use his own magic to like dissipate the mists, so that's another interesting element that is in this, um, right. the way that it would have been scripted. Yeah. Like I can totally
2: see a, um, some, some internet poster guy going off about how that would, that's the first time we see, you know, hints towards him being a frost giant yada, yada, yada. Yeah.
0: So instead we do get the beast. Let's talk about that. And did anyone else think that it looks a lot bigger when it just shows up right in front of them than it had like when it was charging or other times like that?
1: It, I, I, I just, I, I never can quite tell. I don't know if it's a perspective thing or what, but yeah, when that, when the head of the frost or the Yoten beast or the frost beast pops up off the edge of the cliff, right in front of our uh, five heroes standing there, it just seems enormous. I mean, it, it, I I look at it, I'm like, is that the right size? Because that is massive. And I I mean, Mm -hmm. I know it's big, but it just seems so much bigger than it had any time they were uh, being chased by it.
0: So, of course, then Thor, um, showing what a brave noble warrior he is, flies up into the air and flies directly away. And I'm guessing his friends know what he's doing because he's done this before. But I have to admit, if I, if I, if like this guy had led me into battle, this huge monster was showing itself to me, and now our leader was flying in the exact opposite direction, I wouldn't be very happy.
1: <laughs> like, right, do, do you think that he's flying? See, I think that he's flying directly toward them. The way that I see it is he, because the camera, from my, the way I can tell, the camera like follows him as he, uh, you know, he's standing right in front of the palace and he flies straight up into the air and then the camera, as it's following him, kind of spins and and comes down looking toward them and i think he actually flies up and toward them that's the way that i i've read it yeah
2: i feel like at the beginning of that minute he is he is somewhere else he's been separated from the rest of the party
0: okay that makes more sense cuz what i thought was happening was that he was kind of close to them and he basically flies all the way back to kind of get a running start yeah you know And so I'm also wondering, like, why isn't the beast just attacking his friends while, like, we're waiting for this to happen? But that 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 interpretation does make more sense. So thank you.
1: The thing that confuses me, though, is is we're we're looking at them as this as the giant Jotun beast pops up in front of them. um, And Thor, like, turns to look at them. And I mean, we've we have seen him like he is still, you know, he told them to go. He's still in front of the palace battling all these uh, the frost giants. But then he turns and looks at them, and I'm like, are they now implying, like, I mean, maybe not Heimdall-level eyesight, but is he able to see what's happening from where he is, the fact that the Jotun beast is threatening his friends? Because all of a sudden, the way that that shot is constructed, I feel like he sees it. Yeah, it was kind of weird. And I don't think that's ever been a power of Thor. No. In, like, even in the comics, that he has, he can see uh, things far away, like, like Heimdall can. Maybe he just heard it yell or roar. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. it it is like, you know, it is pretty big, <laughs> so it does, you know, take up a lot of room there. And then we get uh, the moment that seems to be, Will, your personal favorite in the minute, where Thor defeats the Beast because he flies at it at top speed. It conveniently opens its mouth to roar, and he flies right through the mouth, and I guess into kind of like the—goes basically straight through the spine or whatever the— Think of the back of your neck is connecting your brain to your body and just punches right through it and kills the monster, which kind of dramatically falls off the cliff. But then, as you said, like that red cloak, which, again, is brilliant in how it's it it is so visible against the the dark grays and blues of everyone else. But there's just not a spot of blood or gore or anything you might get by flying literally through a monster's flesh.
2: Right, which is something I guess I feel like ever since Guardians of the Galaxy, they're they're way more okay with showing like random guts of of monsters that aren't of of beings that aren't human, <laughs> um, and because then because that gives you an opportunity to kind of make a joke out of it. But uh, this, but the first Thor definitely was not going for much comedy, other than like uh, Thor trying to learn how to be a human. Um, so yeah it just it always stood out to me like the the visual of the gaping hole in the jotun beast is awesome and i love it and then thor landing either like it either means one of two things one they don't want to show gore and guts and it's like okay fine whatever or two he was going so fast (laughs) that none of the guts could touch him because he went through so fast and i'll take either explanation but i just need somebody to tell me what it is (laughs) you know
0: star wars established that a lightsaber will perfectly cauterize a wound right so that way you could have like people running around the galaxy cutting off limbs right and left in a pg movie without any blood so maybe it's that like everything is frozen and so, like, there's no blood, which then again raises some biology questions. But either way, it, it this has been a complaint of mine about the MCU as a whole, is that for the most part, the PG and PG-13 movies never show any of that. But then in the Netflix MCU, which is basically much more of an R, R rating, they do show blood and, and gore and things like that. And I I, I get with the ratings, but it sort of creates a situation where it's okay to show kids violence, but it's not okay to show kids the consequences of violence. That's only for adults. That's my whole other ethical thing, but it's just it, it's just something I wish wasn't happening in all these movies.
1: Well, we do see, uh, you know, Fandral, I mean, just just as defense. I mean, I, I agree with you, honestly, but uh, in defense, we do see Fandral get uh, impaled on an ice stalagmite that pops out of the ground, and when they pull him off of it, it's bloody, so I mean, at least right. there's a moment of showing. Okay, somebody did actually get injured here.
0: Yeah, our heroes can bleed, so yeah. you know, and that raises yeah. its own questions. But sure, that that is definitely uh, something we've mentioned before and, and worth mentioning again.
1: Well, and part of part of my question about the Yoden Beast is well, and obviously it's a different type of creature than the Frost Giants. But the Frost Giants, as we've seen, although it's, you got to really kind of go step by step and frame by frame, when they get hit or injured. Their body is like, or their injured parts are breaking into ice and kind of crumbling away, which is interesting. But the Jotun beast clearly doesn't have that same makeup. It actually, like, you see stuff come out of the back of its head and it's just laying there with a giant hole um, in the back of its throat before it uh, falls off the cliff. So it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a totally different type of uh, being, I guess, here on Jotunheim. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to just uh, since you since you commented on the the uh the Yoten beast um last time I do have to talk uh or bring this up because I was awfully impressed with you I I found a note uh from the effects company that had worked on some of this stuff and they this is a quote from the article where they're interviewing them. The Frost Beast was a true monster mash of different ideas. The dozens of concepts that we presented to Marvel were creature designer Nick Lloyd's ideas. Miguel Ortega built the digital model which Christopher Nichols textured using elephant skin as a major reference for a exterior look. The face resembling a turtle crossed with the Rancor from Star Wars. Yes. Was something that Marvel specifically referenced in their design awesome. notes. Definitely awesome. had Raincore vibes. Well done. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I could do not believe you pulled that. It was like it was so impressive that you brought that up. So there I, you go. I think
0: it's kind of the like you know clock being right twice, twice, twice a day. Because if I just like, assume <laughs> if I just assume Star Wars is in everything, then it'll be in some things. You know, so we'll just kind of edit out all the times that I that I say it. and I'm wrong, and then all our listeners will think I'm a genius.
2: Well, it right, does right. have. I mean, it's it's the neck. The neck screams rancor. Like it's got that same kind of l- longer on the back, scrunched up in front. Because um, because yeah. only rancors and the frost beast have that design. No other uh, creatures in all of media have that design. But <laughs> pretty interesting.
0: Th- Those I pointed out, I think, before. I am glad that we don't get the Return of the Jedi moment where you see the the Rancor trainer kind of run out and be <laughs> so sad that his baby died, and like I'm glad we don't get that here. You know, no frost giant is like.
1: Oh come on! I want to see Lofi in tears. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's just, I'm struggling so hard to find things redeemable in Thor at this point that don't don't make that even worse, you know? He gets a lot better, for sure. And he's damn nice to look at, except the eyebrows. But let's not make him even worse.
1: I, I, I did want to bring up, you know, we didn't talk about Mjolnir and, and that this is really the first time we see this next usage of Mjolnir, which uh, we hadn't seen up to this point, where Thor is able, I mean, we've seen him throw it, but now we see him actually throw it and Simply by the fact that he holds on when he throws it, he essentially flies. I don't know how he turns in midair. Like when he's in front of, of Utgard Hall, he, he swings it, throws it straight up into the air and then somehow curves so that he's basically, you know, now going 90 degrees parallel to the ground heading over toward where they are and also I don't know how he then drops himself down in altitude so he's like right at Yoten beast head height like none of that makes sense to me and once he's gone through the Yoten beast like he's obviously doing a full loop like with I don't know how he does it when he's throwing the hammer it makes no sense to me but he loops because he comes straight down to land on the ground it's it's nonsense but it's so cool. I guess I forgive it.
0: <laughs> I'm wondering if he has like really good leg control because if you hold your legs perfectly together <laughs> and then move them, like you could sort of have a rudder effect, you know, like, cause like you're, you know,
2: <laughs> like a tail on a, an a airplane. Fish, yeah, right. <laughs> so what I wonder, like, I wonder if it's like. You use the momentum of it going forward. So you always have forward propulsion. And then you try to summon Mjolnir at the same time. And so it starts to turn and then you stop summoning it. And that's how you.
0: That could be as good an explanation as anything. <laughs> we, need, we need a physicist and a biologist to come on this episode at some point, you know, and just like walk us through the science of Jotunheim because I'm sure it all holds up.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it all makes perfect sense.
0: <laughs> we, we do, though, then get one of my favorite Thor moments in the movie, uh, which is where he lands and he just has that triumphant look on his face like, guys, I did it. You know, you all were worried. I got you back. Don't worry about it. Thor's here to the rescue. Your savior got, has arrived. You know, and then he turns <laughs> and sees just that the whole army of frost giants, led by Laufey, has trapped them on this tiny little cliff. And just the way his face falls is mm. like it's not even comedic, although it is funny. But it's just like, okay, now I get it. This is the moment where the, the the hero who thinks nothing can go wrong it has finally occurred to him that maybe this is a little worse than he thought.
1: Yeah, I I, I really like how that works. Like it, it just it that sells uh, some of the arrogance of Thor. Right? He's so cocky about this moment, and then he lands and he in all of his you know clean of jotun beast gore uh glory that uh, he's just so thrilled with himself only to see that the whole army is here although i still question i'm cuz we see when he's flying there's a great overhead shot of him as he's zipping across the sky before he hits the jotun beast we actually see the ground that had been completely um crumbled away from where, uh, from when he, you know, brought the lightning down at the palace. And I just have to question, like, how does Laufey and all these frost giants, how do they get here so fast? Like, I I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. But anyway, that's another point. Because movies. Because movies, exactly. (laughs) Because we need them, too.
0: Yeah, because presumably Thor is moving at an incredible speed, and they weren't very far behind him. And so they show up, like, two seconds, and they don't look like they're all just running up. Like, they're just standing there waiting. Yeah, um, right. So, right. yeah. Again, this this is perhaps not the most technically uh, <laughs> proficient minute we get in the movie, but there's definitely fun, fun to it. Yeah, yes. it's
2: actually... So, uh, you pointing out, you know, the whole Thor being triumphant and, la- and landing all happy and stood proud. I think the original screenwriting would have taken away from that Where it shows Thor as more of a leader, general using his soldiers to help improve their situation. uh, Where he's like telling Loki, "Hey, we need to get rid of this fog." And in the version that we got, it's all Thor being bullheaded and being the only one. the The reason why they got there, the reason why they went, and him like showing them guys, we could do this. Like, it, it's all about Thor, Thor, Thor. 100%, yeah.
0: So, and that's pretty much where the minute ends. Uh, this has been great. Will or energy. do you guys have any last things you want to bring up?
1: My only last comment is just, I'm a little, uh, I, I don't ever completely buy the eye lines uh, right at that last moment when we cut to uh, Laufy and the Frost Giants. They're, they're looking at, like, human eye level. Like, I feel like they need to be looking down if they're looking down. At these Asgardians, um, I, I, when we cut to Thor, he is kind of looking up a little bit. So I feel like okay, they got that close up right. But with all the frost giants, I feel like, especially Laufy, I feel like you know they should be kind of looking down a little more. But you know that's a minor complaint at this point. Yeah, yeah,
2: I agree. It's right, so Thor. The movie kind of killed the MCU for me. Mm. It, it potentially killed the MCU for me, and I I put <laughs> all of my future MCU movie watching money on Captain America, the first Avenger, because I didn't like Thor. I needed first Avenger to be at least acceptable and to convince me to go watch Avengers.
1: (laughs) But like Thor was a low point for me (laughs) in the beginning of the MCU. Do, Do you still feel that way when you revisit it or has it grown in your estimation? It's
2: still one of my bottom tier movies, but, it doesn't break the world for me anymore.
0: Yeah. I, I think I got very lucky. And then I saw the Iron Man movie and I loved it. I saw the Incredible Hulk movie. I loved it. I just was never interested in Thor or Captain America. And so I skipped those. And then I saw the Avengers movie. And that made me so fall in love with the character of Thor that I think it gave me a much better appreciation. But I'll also say that I love this movie a lot more. Also now having seen Ragnarok and the Loki show, because it just that makes it sound like it's a Daytime talk show, uh, the Loki TV show. Um, but, like, you know, because it gives me so much more appreciation for all of that. So, well, Will, thank you so much for uh, suffering through a minute of your uh, not favorite movie, but I'm so, I think you have uh, so much to contribute. And you're going to be back for five minutes at a later point. Really looking forward to that. Um, for people who are now excited to hear more of you and your partner, Steve, and what you two talk about uh, in terms of comic books, where can they find you? Uh,
2: find us. We have a podcast called Hype is My Superpower. Come and check it out. Me and my best buddy, Steve. Uh, connect from opposite sides of the country, and we talk about the comics that we've read over the last week. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I just love talking about comics, so it's great having having created a podcast where I get to do that.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, definitely check it out. One thing I love about it is I know like super comics nerds really enjoy it, but for myself, as a person who's very rarely read comics... You guys explain enough of what's going on. You like say, okay, here's what happens, and then let's talk about it in a way that I'm fully caught up and I can appreciate and understand. It's kind of like the cliff notes, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I really, I really love that. I want to encourage people if you're a huge comics nut or you just want to learn more about the comics, um, you know, definitely check it out. So, well, thank you so much for being a part of this, Andy. As always, thank you so much to all of our fans. You're awesome. Please stick with us and everybody out there. Have a good day.
1: Take care. Until next time, true believers.